I was 29 years old. It was at the end of my first sem semester back in college. I'd gone back to school after about seven years of being out of school to finish my bachelor's degree at a Christian college. And at the end of the semester, I decided to go on a late evening canoe trip with some buddies. It was, uh, we had borrowed canoes from several different people. And uh, we actually, I, and I'm wrong, we had we'd gone that afternoon hit, and it, we were out till the evening, which I'll get to why. So we, it was a flood stage river. It was like the wrong time to go canoeing, right? We got in. I mean, there's just logs. It's just so, oh, so swollen and like logs everywhere and just like, it's crazy. So we're going, it's, you know, we're managing. I'm in one canoe with two people and then there's two bigger guys in the second canoe. And they're kind of in front of us most of the way. We get to a complete log jam, just like tons of logs across. And we're like, oh man. So we get and we, there's this narrow, narrow pass through. Canoe in front of us tries to go through this pass. They get shoved up against a log and the currents pin them. And all of a sudden it sucks the canoe out from under them sweeps it downstream this is not our canoe so we uh we continue on in our canoe we go to get help basically these guys are stranded and we don't know where we're at we've we've parked like 15 miles up river and we were going to canoe back to our cars so we get out and we finally get downstream to our cars come back get them picked up it's late we actually have to sneak back into our dorms because there's a curfew. It's a Christian college, right? You know, um, we sneak back in. We go out the next day because we got to find this canoe. It's one of the professor's canoes. We go back. We get to the same log jam, same place, same thing happens. We get sucked out of the canoe, and like I am in the middle of a river, fighting for my life. Clothes, I'm, I'm drenched. I'm trying to get ashore, and I get I'm like caught under this underground tree. I keep getting swept under this these branches and I'm like dang crazy I finally get ashore one of the guys is like screaming I turn around he's got one foot in the canoe and he's hugging a log in the middle of the river we run over grab him grab the canoe long story short we get the other canoe we get back everything's good except in the whole process getting washed out and fighting for my life I did nearly drown I mean I was desperate I lost my glasses in that whole process though that's what I want to talk about today. I'll get to the end of this story. The story is actually about my glasses. <laughs> Although the canoe adventure was pretty cool too. But today I want to talk to you about why God is so quiet. Welcome to the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. And if you don't know, I try to let people know I'm walking through the woods. It's afternoon. I hear the cicadas. It's early fall. It's a nice, pleasant 70, 70-ish temperature day. So it's just cool. It's in cool. It's in the cool of the woods. There's like tons of trees. So that's where you are. That's where I am. That's where we are together. So I want to delve into this. Like, I know. I mean, have you ever tried to hear God? Have you ever prayed for an answer and gotten nothing? Have you ever tried to really hear God and really get God's direction and really not get a very clear answer? I've spent my Christian life, my spiritual journey, 
really focused on this one big thing, hearing God. Can you really hear God like the Bible says you can? Can you really hear God? Well, I think if we're honest, religious or not, you know, Christian, atheist, Hindu, whatever, I think if we're honest, we'd say, most of the time, we're, we, we just end up scratching our heads. We ask God questions. We don't get much of an answer. Why? Why is God so quiet? Now, back to my canoe story. I won't leave you hanging. This isn't a cliffhanger. I'm going to come right back to it. So I lost my glasses in that river. This is a big, pretty big river. Um, if I had to guess, 30 feet across. You know, it's not like the Mississippi, the mighty Mississippi, but it's a big river. Uh, don't ask me the name of the river. <laughs> I'm not actually sure, but it's a good-sized river, right? You, I, 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 there's most places I can walk across it at normal levels. So I go back. I think actually after the summer, I come back in the fall, and I think I actually go back to that spot. Well, I do go back to the spot, but I think it's the next semester, and I'm, like, determined to find these glasses. Like, I'm a college student. I don't have money to buy new glasses, in fact, these glasses I had gotten, and I'd actually broken them, like just on a really freak kind of bumped my head on the steering wheel for some reason, driving it one, and just accidentally and like busted the frames in half. So I'd actually gone back, convinced the optometrist to give me a new pair uh, because I claimed that they were faulty, which I kind of think they were, but I don't know for sure. But anyway, so I'd gotten a new another pair, and those are the ones I lost in the stream. So I go back the next semester, and I go back to this river, same spot where I lost the glasses. I really wanted to find those glasses. You know, I hadn't had glasses, new glasses for like five years, and I just couldn't afford to get new glasses very often, and I needed these glasses. I go back. I spend the whole day searching that river for these glasses. I mean, the river was probably barely up to my waist in most places, even more shallow. Man, I found everything else in that river. Everything else. I found a washing machine in that dang river. <laughs> I found everything. I found old shoes. I found metal parts. I never found my glasses. I spent the whole day. I was desperate. I needed to find those glasses. I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. God, you know I need these glasses. I was desperate. I was earnest. I needed this. Nothing. No glasses. No answer. I remember at the end of the day, I was so frustrated. I was pissed off. I was pissed off at God. I was like, where are you, God? I was demanding. I raised my fist in the sky. And I yelled. I don't know what I yelled, but I yelled at God for not answering my prayer. For not answering me at all. Not a damn word. I was pissed off. Like, come on, have you ever been that pissed off at God? Because he didn't answer. You asked a question. You needed a response. And it wasn't just like, God, what's your favorite color? It wasn't that kind of question. It was like an earnest, desperate need. And you got nothing. Don't tell me you've never had that experience. If you're a praying person, don't tell me you've never been pissed off. I mean, read the Psalms. It's okay. First of all, it's okay to be pissed off. Like, David is constantly like, God, where the heck are you? He is constantly pissed off. Like, pray. It's like, I'm here, God. You know my heart. You know I love you. You know I trust you. But dang it. <laughs> where are you? I'm really in trouble. I'm hurting. Like, 
those desperate prayers, those unanswered prayers, we've all been there. You know you have. (laughs) You can play it off. A lot of times as Christians, we try to put up this front of belief, of of undoubted belief, this this monolithic, monolithic like stone wall of faith. Like, no, I don't doubt God. No, I know God's there. Darn it, prayer works. The scientific studies prove it. Actually, they don't. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, we all have like been in that place of like, no, no, I don't know. No, God and I are good. You know, yeah, I talk to God all the time. Does He answer? Hmm. We've all been there. You know, it's okay. David, I love David. David, look, David was called a man after God's own heart. This is a guy who God said, this is a guy who has the heart just like my heart. This guy, David, King David. But David, look at David's prayers. I mean, the Psalms, I mean, he prayed a ton. And yet David was often very frustrated at God's lack of answer, at God being quiet, at God being silent. When he needed God, sometimes it didn't seem like God was there. And David was mad about it. Come on, people. Get, it's okay. Like, David was passionate. He loved God. He knew God showed up. He experienced God showing up. And yet there were times when God didn't seem to show up. And David didn't just go, eh, well, you know, sometimes the answer is no, and it's okay. No, he got pissed off. <laughs> That's how I felt in that river. And I think that's a good thing, first of all. I think, it's gr- I think that's fine. Like, when God's quiet, it's okay. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to ask God, like, hey, come on. Where are you? Why am I not hearing you? Why can't I hear you? And it's like, hey, here's the thing. If it's like every once in a while you don't hear God, fine. You know, like, sometimes I'm talking to my wife and we're watching TV and I get nothing. Or she's on her phone. I have to ask her seven times sometimes. And the same's true for me. Look, I'm not criticizing, but like sometimes when you're asking someone a question, you don't get an answer right away. And sometimes when you're asking someone a question, sometimes it is like, I don't know the answer and I'm going to have to figure it out or I'll have to get back to you. You know, that's life. That's life with God. But like, if there's a pattern of not hearing God at all or very infrequently, that I think is a problem. I don't think that that is the way it's supposed to be. I spent my whole life believing what the Bible says about hearing God. Jesus said, My sheep know my voice. They follow my voice. They know what I sound like. He says the Holy Spirit will be like a voice behind you in the way. This is from Isaiah's Old Testament, but hey, same spirit, right? <laughs> Old to new. It'll be like a voice behind you in the way saying, This is the way you should go. Like uh, in the New Testament, in John and and uh, Matthew chapter, I think it's 15. It's 15, 16, 17, 18, where Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit leads you. There's this all, the Spirit is a spirit of truth. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. Like, this is our active part of God that is actually inside us. Like, meant to really lead us. I, I told you, and I think it was the second podcast of The Construction Monk. On mysticism, I told you about my experience of writing down all these scriptures about the Holy Spirit and realizing, like, there is meant to be a vibrant, intimate, real relationship with the Spirit, where the Spirit truly leads. In fact, John, in his first letter, not in the, the Gospel of John, but in the first letter of John, he says, "By now, you don't need anybody to teach you, because the Holy Spirit has, has te- teaches you all things, and just as He has taught you, so continue." 
Um, basically, that's a really rough paraphrase. But like the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to be able to really hear God. And yet, how much do we hear God? And I spent, I spent the good part of almost 30 years on a journey of believing this was possible, believing I could really hear God. But I can tell you, it's only been the last five years that I've come to a place where I really do hear God almost on a daily basis. It's taken a long time. It's taken a long time to get past the silence and the non-answers and wrestle through and struggle and still believe and still move forward and still seek. You know, I, I, I would say, why is God so quiet? That's a good question. That's what we're wrestling with, and we do wrestle with it. But I want to flip that around, and I want to kind of I want to give the answer what I think is the answer, and then I want to work my way back to it. I think we're actually asking the wrong question when we say, "Why is God so quiet?" I think the real question is, I think, or okay, maybe this is what God would say to us in response: "Why is your world so loud?" Have you ever thought about thought about this question in that way? Maybe, God's got, maybe God would say, like, yes, I'm quiet. But that's not the problem. Why is your world so loud? Like, why do you expect me to shout above the noise of your world? Do you want me to shout? Do you like it when I raise my voice? My kids, <laughs> they don't like it when I raise my voice. I'm their dad. They don't like me to have to shout. And I like when I have when I yell at them, that's exactly what I say. Why do I have to shout to get your attention? Or why do I have to shout before you finally do what I'm asking or listen to what I'm saying? My daughter is a spitfire. We 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 say that she's sweet and sour. She can be super sweet. She's 5. Cutest thing ever. But man, when she gets an attitude, watch out. When she starts to, she can scream. That girl has some lungs. She's a singer. She's got a great vibrato. At the age of five, she can belt it out. She is loud. And when she gets to screaming, when she gets an attitude, you know it, girl. <laughs> she is loud. She will scream at me. All, I mean, there are days, you know, you just have days that are not great days. And there are days when she's screaming at me, fussing at me. Irritated, frustrated, mad, yelling the whole day. Doesn't even blink an eye. Doesn't bother her that she's yelling. I yell one time at her and you should see the reaction, boy. It is like she is shocked. She is hurt. She is offended. It is not okay for her dad to yell at her. (laughs) Let me tell you. She is upset. You know, usually her first question is, Dad, give me a hug. You know what she's really saying when I yell at her? She's like, do you still love me, Dad? And which is really sweet, and I get that. Like, She can yell at me all the time. No big deal. When I yell at her, it is, not, you know, it's shocking. You know, I think, I think God would say the same thing to us. Like, do you really want me to yell to get your attention? Do you, you, oh, I just stepped in a hole fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, just almost twisted my ankle. But anyway, I think that's what God would say. Like, do you like it when I yell? Do you want me to have to yell to get your attention? Our Heavenly Father is like, listen, not only do I not want to yell, but you don't want me to yell either. Because when I have to yell to get your attention, 
It's not pleasant. It's shocking. It is not fun. And here's, I think, the other side. Like, you know, God would prefer not to yell at us. We would prefer God not to yell at us either, right? But here's the other side. Like, we read Scripture, and when we, when we read, we read some amazing stories where God kind of showed up in these bursts, these, like, exuberant expressions, like parting the Red Sea and, like, hellfire and brimstone and, like, these magnificent, fantastical moments where God is just, like, displayed in this amazing way. But let me tell you, those are the highlight reels. We read, like, the Bible is mostly highlight reels. Moses in the burning bush. You know, uh, Gideon in the fleece. I forget, it was that Asa where the, I think he was sick and the, God made the uh, shadow move back ten steps down the stairs. You know, like, look, we read those stories and we're like, wow. We can get an idea that God is this God who is like doing supernatural, fantastical, phenomenal, miraculous things all the time. But that's not true. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's it's in the Psalms. Be still. I think that's in the Psalms. But there's also the story of Isaiah. Um, be still and know that I am God. I think that might be Isaiah. When Isaiah confronted the the prophets on Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal, it was a contest to see whose God would answer with fire. Right? Baal. There's 300 prophets there, and they're cutting themselves trying to get got their God Baal to send down fire, and then. I believe it was Elijah. Did I say Isaiah? I did. It's Elijah. Sorry. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm off the I'm going off the cuff here. Okay. <laughs> like anyway, I, Elijah. Uh, and he comes up and like he like pours water over the altar and like um, he just like he's like this is on baby. I really know God's gonna bring fire. In fact, I'm just I'm so sure of it. I'm gonna like make it even harder pouring water. And so God, boom, does the fire. He kills the three hundred prophets. And then immediately, like, it starts to rain because there had been a drought. And But out of all that, Jezebel's pissed off. She's the, the queen of the land. She's, she's encouraged Baal worship. And Elijah's calling her out. And she comes out and tries to kill him. And he gets all freaked out, runs, goes and hides. And he has this encounter with God. And there's, there's several things that happen. He's up there uh, on a hill, I think, on a mountain or hill. And I think he's in a cave, maybe. But like this huge whirlwind comes and I think there's an earthquake that comes and there's these fantastical things that happen. But every time these things happen, it says, God, but God was not in that and God was not in that. And then finally God comes and it says he comes as a still, small voice. I think that story really reveals the heart of God, the character of God and the essence of God. You know, a lot of times we think God is the whirlwind and the fire and the earthquake and these big things. And that's how we would prefer, <clears throat> like, we want God to show up in a way that's like slaps us in the face and like can't ignore that kind of way. But first of all, I think God prefers that still small voice. Secondly, I think we would prefer it. And third, um, we see that though the Bible may give us the idea that God's doing all these fantastic things and like shows up in the sun, the, the burst and the, the fireworks and the big moments. But that's actually the highlight reels. If we really want to hear God like the prophets heard God, like David heard God, we're going we're gonna to have to learn to get quiet because God is quiet. And that's been my journey. 
Have I heard God in some pretty, pretty fantastical ways, like exuberant ways? Yes. Why? Because that's the only way I could have heard him in the t at the moment. But let me tell you also, those have not been very pleasant sometimes. What I'm learning, one, is that God is a still, small voice. That's what he says. That's what he says about himself. Two, that is actually the best. There's a reason he's a still, small voice. It's not a game. Like, a lot of times we think we can get to a place where we're trying to hear God, and it just it's like a game of hide-and-seek, a game of peekaboo. That God's hiding all the time, and we've got to somehow chase him down and figure out and get him to answer us and coerce and answer or just, like, work at it. I don't know. It's like a mystery. And sometimes we can just say it's a mystery. God answers me one-tenth of the, you know, or just a small percentage of the times I ask. And most of the time I'm just like, Phew. I guess this is how it works. I disagree. And I've come to a place where I hear God and I interact with God on a daily basis. But it's taken me 30 plus years to figure out how I need to get to a place to be able to hear a God who is already actually speaking to me all the time. I believe that. And I've come to experience that, but it's taken me a long time to get there. Why? Because God is a still, small voice. But there's a character to that still, small voice, and I want you to understand that. Just like my daughter and my kids, like, one, we don't really want God to have to yell at us to get our attention. Two, that's not a good relationship. If God's screaming at us all the time, that's not really a healthy God. It's not a, that's not a healthy relationship. God wants to invite us. Look, one of the main things that Jesus came pronouncing, or I guess the angels pronounced, and Jesus preached, is like, peace. Like, I come to give you peace. He said that to the apostles in the Gospel of John. I think that's actually chapter 14 or 15. But he's like, my peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. And I don't give peace like the world either, which is a whole nother topic. But like God wants us to, he wants to lead us into a peaceful state of being. And like him yelling at us all the time is not peaceful. Like, so the, the whole nature of God's still small voice actually also entails God leading us to live in a way that is peaceful and calm and quiet and silent. You know what I'm saying? Like God's God's real goodness for us is the fact that he's not just a still, small voice, but a calm, peaceful, quiet energy. God is not a pushy, manipulative, controlling, forceful, angry, fireball kind of energy. God is inviting us in to a space and a relationship and a life that is peaceful and calm. And God does that by whispering to us. Come away. Get quiet. Learn to live a different way. Like the very nature of the life God is trying to call us to has everything to do with God being a still, small voice. Do you understand that? Like, you know, when I was in that river railing at God for not answering me, not giving me what I wanted, not meeting my need in the moment... That's not healthy for me or for God. And I'm not saying there's not a point to surrendering. That's part of the process of like, maybe that's one of the first things we learn is like accepting how God chooses to answer. 
a lot of times when we come to God, we're demanding an answer like I was in that river. We want God to show up a certain way. And I think that also has to do with our expectations. You know, <laughs> that was cool. Did you hear that bird? Yeah. Almost sounds like a hawk. The, the sun's slanting through the trees now. It's pretty cool. It's getting to that golden hour, you know. Anyway. Um, hmm, lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'll get it back. Don't you worry. Um, <sighs> you know, the kind of life that God's calling us into requires that we learn a different way of hearing. And what I was talking about was how we expect God to show up, you know, has a lot to do with it. How we want God to answer and kind of we want God to meet us where we are. Now he does. God, he, she does meet us where we are, but he meets us where it's like come as you are, not stay as you are is how I like to say it. Like, yeah, God will speak our language. He shows up in ways that we can understand, but look, God is drawing us to a place. We can begin to expect God or when we expect God to do things the way we want, we're going to be disappointed. When we're demanding God do the things we want the way we want, look, surrender is a part of it. That's what I'm trying to get to. And surrender is first saying, yeah, and it's humility. It's like, God, maybe I don't get how you speak. I can't hear you, and it's frustrating. But maybe I need to come and get on my face and say, maybe I, obviously I don't know how to hear you, but can you teach me? Instead of demanding and demanding and saying, God, show up and God, do this and God, do that, and demanding God do what we want and show up how we want and talk how we want and act like how we want, the first step, what surrender is about, is saying, maybe I don't have a freaking clue how this should work. God, can you show me? Show me how you speak. Teach me to listen. Lead me on a journey of coming to know what your voice sounds like, coming to hear you really speak when you speak. It's not a game. That's what I'm, it's not a game. But we make it a game when we come in and we try and control and dictate to God. And I know, like, I, I get that. It can still seem like, well, why doesn't God just speak the way I, I can hear? <clears throat> it has to do with the life God is trying to bring us to. And it also has to do with understanding. God knows how to speak to us. We don't often know how God speaks. There's a learning process. There's a journey. And there's often an impetuous, impatient, pushy, and persistent will behind our asking. We're often not even asking for an answer from God. We're actually asking for God to answer us and give us the thing we want. Like, the wanting and the will comes from our side. God, would you do this? Would you do that? Would you show up this way? I want this. I need that. How often do we say, God, what do you want? God, how do you want to show up? When we begin to be reoriented in how we recognize God showing up, then we begin to see God showing up more because God is always showing up. God is always here. God is all around. God is ever-present. But if God is quiet and still and subtle and passive, as I believe, as I know God is, what we often find is we're looking for this flamboyant, extravagant kind of um, fireworks, blazing kind of God. And we mostly miss the quiet God who's always right here, who's been here, and who's speaking to us. 
and calling us into the quiet instead of us calling God into the loud. See what I'm saying? Like God needs to lead us out of the loud and the expectations and the ideas we have of how a loud God should be and behave. And we need to let God lead us into the quiet of who God truly is and how God truly acts and speaks. And that is a very long journey. Surrendering our will and submitting ourselves to God. Letting God lead us on a journey. Doing a lot of listening. How does God speak? How does God show up? How do I hear God? I don't have a lot of good words for that, to be honest. Sometimes it's a thought that I hear in my thoughts, but it's a thought that I can tell is not my own thought. And it's a thought that comes with a certain character and quality that I know is the quality of God. Sometimes it's a feeling, it's a sense. Sometimes it's a circumstance and I just know I just know. I just have a sense. This is the circumstance that God has ordained and ordered and worked out. Um, a good, a really good example would be my wife and I really had a sense that we were supposed to move. And my wife, way before me, probably a year before me, my wife was like, "We need to move." And I was like, "No." I, I just had we had renovated, uh, uh, not renovated. We had finished out an apartment above my, my wife's parents, and I had worked in the shop with my father-in-law in the neon business. And um, they had an upstairs apartment. We moved in with them. I finished that upstairs apartment over a period of like eight years. I was just getting the place really good, just like we liked. It was all new, everything new. And my wife was like, we need to work. We got three kids now. Three kids, three bedrooms. Or, yeah. Two of the, the two boys shared a room, one girl. She's like, we need to move. I'm like, no, I just got this place. Great. I mean, I don't want to move. And she's like, no, we need to move. Finally, I began to really get this from God. Like, yeah, you need to move. It took us over two years, almost almost three, three years. We actually had a house at about a year. and it, it took us a year just to get to the place where we could get approved for a loan, barely. I'm self-employed. It's hard to get a loan if you're self-employed. So it took us a long time just to get to that point. Finally get a mortgage, find a house, like the house. Two weeks from closing, the mortgage company tells us that, um, what's it called? There's this person... I can't remember. So like the the loan officer maybe is what they're called. Like they were reviewing. They have to go back and review our mortgage. And they're like, you know what? You really don't qualify. And we were like, uh, what are you talking about? Why didn't – like we were approved and now we're not. That should have been like figured out at the beginning of this process. So we lost the house. Kept looking a little bit, trying to get a loan. We got denied like another six times. <laughs> we got denied by different mortgage companies. Through the process, we'd like, okay, maybe we're just going to, we got to move. My wife's parents have somebody moving from New York to occupy this apartment we're living in. We've got to get out of there. They're, they've actually already moved and they're staying with their daughter. So it's like, we've got to get out of here, like ASAP. We start looking at renting and it just didn't feel right. Like all the doors are closed a hundred times in our faces. And I'm just like, we're looking and it just doesn't feel right. And I go to my wife. And I'm like, you know what? I just don't think this is right. I really feel like we've heard from God correctly. She's like, yeah, I think so too. Let's let's try it again. And um, my wife's a smart, smart lady. <laughs> she figures out there's this kind of loan that will work better for us. Because really our student debt is the problem. And all of this, our debt to income ratio is the biggest issue. Uh, you know, Our income is decent. But... It's our debt-to-income. So she 
figures out there's a type of loan where it doesn't factor in your student loans if they're on um, forbearance or in a, you know, like it's based on your payments, not on the actual amount of the student loans. So she figures that out. So we, we find a mortgage company that's able to get that kind of loan we need. We get a mortgage and we're looking and looking and looking and just nothing, you know. We switch realtors, which was also a godlet thing. This realtor happened to be involved with a client who's selling a couple houses. And the mortgage company really comes back and says, you, you know, you really need to wait till your second year of business is done. We're like four months out from that. So this guy selling this house actually is renting it currently. He agrees to do a lease to purchase kind of agreement. We move into the house. I know this is a long story, but we went like, so before we even move into the house, there's occupants. We can't get in to see the house, but we just knew God had lined up this circumstance. This house isn't even on the market. We're getting this house off market. It's the right square footage. We've seen an inspection report. We know it has some issues, but we get all this done. We don't even get to see the house till after we sign on the dotted line, but we just knew I mean, that is crazy. Most people, you don't buy a house, sign a, an agreement to buy a house sight unseen. We drove by that thing probably 50 times just trying to get a look at it as best as we could. We didn't know what it looked like inside, but we knew just circumstantially, we knew God had led us this way. And so long story short, or a short story long, <laughs> like God moved, that's a circumstantial leading right there. And man, I tell you what, it was just amazing. Like... The house was a little rough. The previous renters had been smokers, but you know what? The house had good bones, all oak trim, oak floors that were underneath layers of carpet. But we've been working on that house now for six or seven months. You know, we've just done a lot of work, and it's it's great. You know, it's where we're supposed to be. It's a great neighborhood. It's almost a full-acre lot in an urban area. It's just perfect. But God led us to that place, and how? Why? Or, I'm sorry, how did we know... Even through, I don't think I've ever had so much opposition following what I knew was a leading from God. How did we know? We just did. We knew and we followed. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't always clear. But we knew it was right. But it's taken us a long time, me a long time, to get to a place where I can trust that leading and know what it feels like. And, and that's the thing, too, I've realized a lot of times. I think a, a lot of times, looking back, I've realized God has always been speaking to me, even about the smallest of things. But I didn't have the real confidence to trust, to step out. I didn't have the faith to follow. I mean, even in my work, like there are days when it's just like, I can just, I just, I get a picture in my head sometimes, and I just know, like, when I'm work, I work construction, sometimes I'm just like, I need that tool. It pops into my head. In the past, I had a lot of anxiety, and I had a lot of, just not a lot of faith, and I would, I would really just continue to fight through something the way that I thought it should be done. And now I know, like, I'm sensitive to God's leading, God's voice, and I can just, there are times, I mean, it happens a lot where it's just like, because I have the ability and the space and the peace which comes from this relationship with God and this journey I've taken of becoming more at peace. I have the peace and the space to say, I know God has told me to go and get this other tool and not just fight with it with this in the way that I'm currently doing. And so I go and I do it. I'm able to act upon, not just hear, but act upon what I know and sense that God is telling me to do. And it's like, 
I mean, can you imagine God's telling me to go get a screwdriver? Isn't that amazing? One time I was in the bathroom. This is another good example. I mean, I mean, it's like, it, to me, it just, it makes me so freaking amazed that God would even pay attention to the, such small things and care enough to give me direction in such small ways. One time I was in the bathroom in the morning and I'd cut my finger. And we keep the, ba- the band-aids in another bathroom. It's not even that far away, but I just felt, I just heard God speak to me through this feeling. There's a band-aid right beside you. I'm right beside the linen closet, which we don't keep band-aids. We keep everything else in this linen closet but band-aids. I turn, and like under a washcloth, or maybe sitting on top of the stack of washcloths, there's a band-aid unopened. And like not in an obvious place, but I had to look for a second. But like I just heard God speak that to me. And boom, it was right there. I mean, that carried me through the whole day that God would care enough to just speak that to me. Didn't, did it really matter for me to walk 10 feet away and get a bit? No, but you know what? It made my day that God cared enough to do that small thing because God cares about as much the small things as the big things when it comes to speaking to us. And like sometimes God's just like, you know what I can do? I can tell you to, I can, I can, like, God loves to, like, he loves to hang out with us. He, she loves to spend time with us. And I think God just gets a kick out of when his kids really know how to listen. God's like, you know, I can show you that. I can show you this. I can show you that. Like, you don't, you don't have to do this by yourself. Yeah, you may have a college degree and have a lot of expertise in the field, but you know what? I see things you don't see. I can talk and speak to you about things. I can make it easier for you. I can, (sighs) You know, there's that verse that talks about um, making. It's it's an Old Testament prophecy about them, about uh, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, making the way straight. And it talks about making crooked paths straight and like hilly paths smooth. Like a lot of times, that's how I experience God. Like I just have a sense and of, of the way I'm supposed to do something, and it can be so minute. But God, and I've learned to follow that, and I've also realized like those that sense has been with me most of my life, and it probably has been with you, but I could hardly even pay attention to it because I was so stuck in the chaos and the loudness of the way I used to do things and the way I used to live, the way I was used to living, which was following the loud and the shouting and all these other voices. And that's the thing, like, your world is full of a bunch of loud voices. Are you spending time getting yourself quiet, learning to be quiet, getting your mind and your heart quiet, even your body, getting yourself into quiet spaces sometimes, like I'm doing here in the woods. There's a reason I come to the woods to record these. It's so freaking awesome. It's beautiful. It quiets me, body, heart, mind, soul, and spirit, to look at the trees, to hear the birds and the crickets and the cicada and nuts falling through the canopy of the trees, plop on the ground and the river running in the distance and it's calming and it's quiet do you know how to get quiet do you know how to really calm like i don't think it's the fact that we aren't hearing but it's the fact that we're tuned and we're we're kind of our taste is tuned to the bright flavors And I think food is a great example, too, and I do this all the time. Like, I've been through a process the last two years of cutting out sugars. And this has also been a God-led experience. Like, God has started to speak to me in these last five years, especially, of even what I should be eating. Which is pretty cool. Like, God has a tailor-made approach to life just for you. 
<clears throat> not a general like couple of checklist kind of rules that we all should live by, which there are all those things too, I think. But like the more I know God, the more specific God gets and Taylor makes every day for me. Isn't that exciting? Like, can you imagine like a God who is like, I've made this day and chartered a path just for you and it's so detailed. And I care about what you eat and I care about how you act and I care about how you feel and think. It's <laughs> And um, <clears throat> like food, I think food is a great example. So the last, especially the last couple years, maybe three, I've been like getting rid of sugars. I've been listening and like, hearing God really lead me in my diet and mostly like the bigger kind of picture is I've been really getting away from a lot of the bright bold over flavored flavors of things and so my palate has gotten very subtle I don't know if you if you know much about tasting like the more bright and really bold flavors you eat the taste like the more salt you use the more sugar the more you need and like because you're you're conditioning your sense of flavor to this bright and bold and loud flavors but you can actually reverse that process and begin to kind of use less and less of the sweetener and the salt and the flavor enhancers and you can begin to taste like you can begin to just still taste kind of to the same degree but the difference is it begins to expand the amount of what you taste when you're using that salt and sugar and flavor enhancers that's really what you start to taste and crave it does enhance the current flavor to a degree but it also becomes the flavor but the more you go to that mild palate like the more subtle and the more expansive your flavor palate I mean you can talk to any person who is a taste tester for a living I read an article once about a guy who forget what he worked for a company he developed his palate to such a degree, like he could taste such a nuance of flavors. Wine tasters are the same. You know, you see those shows where they like they taste the wine and they go like, "Oh yeah, this has this was uh, distilled in an oak oak uh, barrel for 15, you know, whatever." And it has a, you know, I can tell the soil consistency here. This is probably California and or whatever or Rhine Valley, <laughs> but like those like it looks like they have a superpower. What have they done? They've actually cultivated their palate to the soft and the subtle and the quiet and that's the same thing with the spiritual life like we have to cultivate our spiritual sensitivity with quiet to to hear the more subtle calm nuanced leadings and nudgings of god if all we're used to is the bright and the bold what we're actually asking god to do is shout we're actually asking god not to be who god is at all God is quiet. God is calm. God is drawing us and wants to draw us into peace and stillness. But like God's not going to drag us there kicking and screaming. We've got to walk there as God leads us. The journey I've been on with my palate, it's really amazing. Like, um, just a good example, I, 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 use, I eat a, for, for my lunch. I take all my lunches for work and I use a certain kind of like granola bar that is more natural. It, but it's expensive, right? So one day I was like, oh, I got the generic brand at Kroger. I took one bite and I was like, I can't eat this. It's like, I feel like I just ate a bunch of sugar. It's too sweet. So my wife like, oh, I found some discounted stuff at Aldi's. Tried that. Too sweet. Like, I just couldn't eat it. It was so sickly sweet. I had to go back to my expensive <laughs> granola bars. Like, my palate has become so subtle and attuned so subtly that... Like I used to, these are stuff, this is stuff I used to eat. I ate an Oreo cookie a while back and I was like, Bleh, I can't eat this. It's like, it's the sugar is so stark. It's like, it's unedible for me. 
And I was kind of shocked. Like, I didn't realize how subtle my palate has become. But it's a journey, and you don't really notice the decrease until you really go back to something old. Same is true with God and hearing God and experiencing God. Like, it takes a long time. It's a long journey, and it takes a focused intention of of surrendering our will. And our will is often the loudest voice in our lives. I want this. I don't want that. I don't like this. God, do that. God, don't get this person out of my life. God, you know, we're shouting at God. Our ego and our will are constantly pushing God around and saying, do this, don't do that. And then we're like, well, God, why don't... What's your deal? You're not showing up. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And God's like, well, you know what? I tried to come in and show you and lead you, but you were so busy screaming at me and telling me what to do, you couldn't hear. You're not even attuned to the whole process that I'm in here with you. <laughs> like, You think you're dictating to me what to do and what you should have and what's good. And, like, It's completely backwards. Like, you're not, If you can't even stop to begin to consider the idea that I need to lead you... Like, that's one of the first steps towards this whole different way is, like, stop telling me what to do and telling me what is good. Like, I created good. <laughs> Jesus said, nobody's good but the Father. Like, God's like, I created good. I am the essence of good, and you're telling me what's good and what I should do. Like, it's not a who's in control thing, but God's like, that's not how this works. Like, you th I don't want to give you something that isn't good for you. And 99.999% of what you're telling me to do, I know isn't good, and I won't do that because I won't do what's not good. And if, if this whole relationship is founded on you telling me and you thinking I'm going to do what you want, we're still at the infant stage here. Like, not even the infant stage. We're like at the five-month-old stage here. Like, we've got to start on a journey where you start to learn to set aside what you think I should do and how you think I should be and how you think I should answer and respond. And start to lean into a whole different way of how this relationship really works. It's so different. And I'm telling you, it's very different. It takes a lot to begin to get into a place where our will is quiet and the voices we tend to be drawn to and the, the way our palate, our spiritual palate is tuned. It takes a long time to begin to be weaned off that, of that obsessive, self-focused kind of flavor bent, you know. I get it. It's frustrating. And the answer, it, uh, the answer I'm giving you is not very satisfying. But maybe that's part of it too. Is like, is it supposed to be something that gratifies your fleshly desires just to get what you want for yourself? Like, is it supposed to feel good and feel easy? And like, is it supposed to appease you? Is that is that how this is supposed to work? Or is it going to feel like a cross you carry? Is it going to feel like you died to things inside you and you were buried? to things that aren't healthy for you and you had to wait a while in the grave for God to resurrect you in a new way over and over a process of death, burial, resurrection, transformation like these aren't metaphors these are real practical ways we come to live in a different space in a different way where we actually begin to hear God because we've put to death a lot of the things that were loud and shouting over the still small voice of God <sighs> I know that is like and it takes time. And I know it's like, that's not the answer we really want. And I know that. 
But that's it. Like God is a quiet God. God is calm, and He calls us into that calm. And if we're expecting God to be a shouting, abusive, tyrannical, authoritative, pushy energy, we're asking God to be someone He's not, someone she's not. And that's not going to happen. So what we're going to get is mostly disappointed. Every once in a while, God's going to find a way to break through the noise and the chaos of our lives and the self, self-centered, selfish gratification that we keep asking God to feed and the, the wrong, see, the wrong things God is, we're asking God to do for us and the wrong way we're asking God to be for us. Every once in a while, God will kind of break through and will show up because he loves us and he, she wants to spend time with us and walk with us. And so God and his and her grace does bend down and meet us where we are. But God will not be someone other than who God is. And God is still, small, quiet. God is everywhere in all things. But if we're not quiet enough and we don't take the time to get quiet enough to really learn how to interact with this still, small, quiet spirit of God, we're mostly not going to hear God very much and we're going to be pretty frustrated and we're going to have to get by on a few measly spiritual experiences and answers every once in a while when the bursts of light break through our noise and distortion somehow finally getting through because it was finally big enough or loud enough to get through all the clutter in our heart and mind but for the most part we're just going to go through life Wondering why mostly God doesn't show up and doesn't speak. Frustrated. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You remember that hymn? It's good. It's good. It's true. God does show up. God's not mean and God's not playing hide and seek. God's not playing games. We're the ones playing the game. We're the ones asking God to be someone who God is not. It's a long journey to learn to enter into the quiet to surrender, to learn, to let our will be crucified, put to death. It's a journey. It's a long journey. The one thing I know, if I can do it, anyone can do it, because God can do it. Don't give up. It's hard, but it's worth it, and it's not impossible. It's very possible. I believe that. I'm not a special person. I'm not, like, super spiritual. I'm not anything different than you. Or you. (laughs) I didn't have some kind of extra edge or head start. I don't live in a monastery and have this time to like really dedicate myself to hearing God. I'm a normal person. I've had some, you know, really good opportunities to go to Bible college and that's helped. But could have also led me a different direction. Just as much. That God has made this happen. Because God is able, and I know God is able to do it for you. But I want you to understand the goal. And I want you to understand that 
that maybe it's not happening because your whole idea of how God speaks is completely wrong. And so I want to give you the right goal when it comes to learning to hear God better. And the right goal is not God needing to get louder and somehow break through. And like maybe God's just not able to do it that well and so God's not that great. But the right goal is you getting quiet enough to hear that God actually is always speaking, always has been, and never will stop. God just doesn't know how to not be with his and her kids. He said, with all of us speaking, leading, guiding, we just don't see it, we don't hear it, because we haven't learned how, because it's quiet and it's still and it's small and it's just so different than what we have thought. So I just want to set the right expectation for you, at least, the right goal. Set you on the path of the right journey, just learning to be quiet. Get away, spend time. A lot of my conversations with God are me talking. It starts out that way. And there, there was a long time, a lot of times, when, when I did most of the talking. And that's okay, too. I just want you to know what to expect. Like, you don't have to do it. You can tell me, you know, you can tell me to go to hell. <laughs> you can tell me, like, I'm crazy. You can tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine with me. Like, I don't expect you to believe, you know, but I'm just sharing with you my journey, coming to hear God, and why I think most people really fail in that journey, because they're reaching for the wrong thing. They don't understand the process involved and that it takes a long time. It's a long pursuit of getting quiet. And no matter how quiet you think you've gotten and like, you know, how, to what degree you think you've learned to hear God, there's always more. There's always more quiet. There's always greater. You know, I've had to struggle through and stumble through in the midst of life, in the midst of work, in the midst of a job and kids and, and a wife. Like, I haven't had any special circumstances or special training. I've stumbled through this and struggled through this. The only thing that really got me through was believing it was possible. <sighs> through the doubt and the struggle and the discouragement and the frustration. <sighs> like that time in the river screaming at God. Like, I still persisted. And I believe persistence is really probably the only thing that really will make it happen. Don't give up. Keep at it. Keep believing it's possible and you will reach there. You'll reach it. You'll get there. <sighs> All right. I hope that's encouraging. Like, I, I just wanted to share, like, why is God so quiet? I wanted to kind of whet your appetite and help you understand that there's a reason God's quiet. It's actually purposeful. It's intentional. It's, and it's good. Like, it's good. Because God wants you to learn to be quiet like God is quiet. God says, be holy as I am holy. Holy means set apart. doesn't mean aloof set apart. It means like living in a different kind of way altogether from what we're used to set apart. And God's saying, I live in a way that is freaking awesome, peaceful, calm, amazing, joyful, bountiful, vibrant, thriving. But it's about a peace and a calmness. And I'm not going to run in and, and get involved in the chaos of your life and be that chaos as well. I'm calling you away to the quiet. It's intentional. It's purposeful. There's a reason God is quiet and calls us into the quiet as well. He's calling you. Follow that lead. 
Hey guys, thanks for paying attention. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. I just I hope I've excited you at least. <laughs> like, yes, you can do this. Keep going. Hope I've whet your appetite and, and really challenged you. I, I love all of you. I want you to know this kind of life that I've come to know and that I'm growing into more. I want you to know a God that I've come to know that is good and that is really there and that is like loving the heck out of you and loves you no matter what. <clears throat> This has been the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Randall Ori. Uh, there's always more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. More podcasts and blogs. Got a lot of stuff there. Check it out if you want. I love you guys. Take care. Bye.